So I encourage you to um, go back to Matthew chapter 5 and also uh, you can go to freegrace.me and there is an outline for uh, this afternoon's message as well. Uh, yep. Is, can you not, am I, come in please, come in free grace, come in. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Josh. So last week we began this uh, segment on, um, actually Sermon on the Mount, Russ, Russ talking about and reading scriptures with regards to uh, mountains. Mountains actually have a very significant theme throughout Scripture. And here we have this Sermon on the Mountain. We're just looking at one segment of it known as the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes simply, it's, it's taken from a Latin word where, which really means uh, blessedness. And so the Beatitudes reflect or look at what life looks like that is blessed by God. It could also be translated, whenever you read blessed, it could be translated as happy or how fortunate. And of course, the people who are, ultimately, it is only those who are blessed by God who are actually going to have happy, flourishing lives, right? We can't live against God and not be under the blessing of God and actually have a happy life. But when we look at the uh, Beatitudes, we see that it's quite a bit different than what the world would tell us and what our hearts often believe with regards to what's actually going to make us happy, right? If, the world, if we ask the world, <laughs> even ask our own hearts, okay, what will make you happy? The answer, you know, it's, it's money, it's good health, it's, it's a you know, beautiful partner to live your life with, to be beautiful yourself or whatever, have a good job, the, your dream job and all these things. And, uh, and, and, and the thing is, none of those make the list. None of those make the list of these fortunate, these, this description of fortunate under the eyes of God. And then meanwhile, it's like all these things that are listed here are not the things that we generally, or in the world, that we, these would be the things that we pursue. Because they're all completely um, uh, upside down according to what the world would say should make us happy. Uh, and would cause our lives to flourish. And perhaps the most upside down one of them all, and the one that seems uh, the most backward, is the very first one that we find here. In verse 3, it's also, by the way, kind of the foundational one. Like all the others, it's, it's almost like it's, it's the gateway beatitude. It's the one that uh, opens up the door for all the other beatitudes as well. Because if this, was, if this first one is not a reality in your life, neither will any of the rest of them. And so it says there in uh, verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So happy are the poor, right? They are the happy ones. They, uh, they are the fortunate ones. You know, congra- like I said last week, right? Congratulations. These are the ones that we are to g- congratulate. Who? The poor. You know, and if you are one of those people, you can say, yay, I'm poor. Lucky me. 
That's basically what Jesus is saying here. Now, what does it mean? And of course, it means more than just poor, but we first have to understand what is Jesus talking about when he says poor? And, and when we think of poor, we, we, need to be, we need to be thinking not simply poor in terms of uh, Western society here in Canada. When we think of poor, we might think of the homeless or, you know, if, if we don't have enough to kind of make ends meet or we don't have enough, you know, food on the table or, or we don't have enough money to pay rent or whatever, that's, that's one aspect of poor. And then, of course, the poor are also those who don't have a voice. They don't have influence. Um, generally, they are those to be pitied, right? When things are going badly for you, how do people console you? Oh, you poor guy. You poor girl. <laughs> oh, poor baby. You know, poor you, right? That's the word that we use, right? It's the, that's the, those are the people that we pity are the, are, are the poor. But actually, the word that Jesus uses for poor here is... Poor as a beggar, right? We need to be thinking streets of Calcutta, the ones that, you know, Mother Teresa would work with, that kind of poor, right? Those in Haiti who don't have uh, clean water to drink, who have a few sticks for their shelter, no shelter at all. It's that kind of poverty that Jesus is talking about. Somebody who would be completely Dependent on others, uh, if if no one helped them, they would, you know, they'd starve to death, they'd freeze to death, they'd die of sickness or whatever. But now Jesus is going beyond that, and he's saying, uh, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Now, what is that talking about, right? What are what are beggars in spirit? What is what does that mean? What does that look like? It's not talking about people who you know, beat themselves up and, you know, I'm such a terrible person or, uh, you know, nobody notices little old me, uh, nor is it talking about a person who is, you know, uh, you know, depressed. That's not what is, that is not what is being described here. It's basically describing somebody who is spiritually bankrupt, bankrupt before God. Right? Nothing that they can do in order to impress God, win God over. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way. He says, it is to feel that we are nothing and that we have nothing. And that we look to God in utter submission to him and in utter dependence upon him and his grace and mercy. Right? I have nothing. I can do nothing. I am nothing. I've got nothing to bring to the table before God in order to get him to accept me. I need his grace. I need his mercy. So here Jesus is, is completely going the opposite direction of, of, uh, you know, of, of our culture and the rest of culture. I mean, in our culture here in the West, we are a self-help culture, right? The largest section in the bookstore or on Amazon or whatever is the self-help section, the section that will tell you how you can improve in any area of your life, right? This is, this is how to win people and, you know, influence people and win friends over here, or, or this is how you can, you know, get that guy of your dreams or girl of your dreams. This is how you can improve in all sorts of different areas in your life. It's all about, you know, you can do it and, uh, and you have enough and you have it, what it takes, right? Believe in yourself. That's the message of our culture. And so we emphasize, our culture emphasizes self-confidence. 
right? Self-reliance, self-importance, right? Actualize yourself. You have what it takes. Love yourself. Believe in yourself. And then we have what Jesus is saying here, and it is actually the complete opposite. The person who is, is poor in spirit is the person who says, I can't. I cannot do it. I do not have what it takes. I am helpless. I can't change myself. I can't do it on my own. They are the ones that realize that their problems are not simply uh, physical or material. It's not simply you know, psychological or emotional or mental or even social or relational. But ultimately, down at the bottom, their problem is a spiritual problem. Because of sin, they are disconnected from God. And uh, there is a distance between themselves and God that they cannot scale. They are on the outside and they can't get themselves on the inside. They are the ones who are aware that they are not what they are supposed to be. That we have broken God's commandments. We have rebelled against our Creator. Judgment is coming, and we cannot do anything to justify ourselves. And so the poor in spirit are the ones who realize that without outside help, they are hopeless. They are lost. They are doomed. They can't save themselves. They can't clean themselves up. They can't make themselves acceptable before a righteous, holy, just God. Right? Ephesians chapter 2 summarizes it so well, right? As for you, you were dead, dead in your trespasses and sins. You weren't just weak. You weren't just sick, you know, in need of a doctor, in need of more time, need of some spiritual discipline, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you were um, a follower of Satan. You were enslaved to your own passions. And we were by nature children of wrath. So no amount of time or effort or discipline or education or knowledge or work is going to make an ounce of different at the end of the day. All that we have to offer to God, you know, is nothing more than what the, what the world would would equate with sand, right? Something that is useless and without value. But now the question is, why are the poor in spirit, why are they the happy ones? Why are they blessed? Why are they fortunate? These beggars, these spiritual beggars, why are they happy? Well, on the one hand, it's because they are the only ones who turn to the only one who can actually do something about their situation. And they are the ones who turn to God for what they need, which is mercy and grace. And so we see examples of this throughout Scripture of people who are uh, poor in spirit. right? We see, um, for instance, Isaiah, when he stands before God, he has this vision of God and his holiness. And he says about himself, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, right? Uh, I am doomed because I have seen the holy God. That's, that's an example of poor in spirit. Or, or Job, after he's been questioning God and everything else throughout the book, and then God reveals himself and Job says, I, I repent in dust and ashes, right? Just, I'm just poor. There is poor in spirit. Or Peter on the boat when Jesus, uh, there's this miraculous catch of fish, and then it, it 
Peter clues into who Jesus really is. And what does he say? He says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Right? That is poor in spirit. John Calvin says, he only who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on the mercy of God is poor in spirit. Or as the song uh, that was led earlier today, Rock of Ages, right? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Not, uh, naked, come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. It's not a song that has been sung, it's gonna, a song that we're going to sing uh, at the end of the service. Just naked, poor, uh, I don't have anything. I just cling simply to the cross. That's all that I can do. So then what's the opposite of that? The opposite, biblically speaking, the opposite of poor in spirit would be self-righteous, right? The self-righteous ones are the ones who believe that um, I have something I can bring before God to make myself acceptable, right? So to the person who's self-righteous, and very often that describes me, maybe describes you as well, right? If God would say, you know, kind of like, why should I let you in? Why should I let you into my family? Why should I accept you? Why should I let you into heaven? The answer is, well, because I'm a good person. And I'm not like those people. And, uh, and I try hard, and I, and, 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 I, and I obey the commandments, and I don't lie or cheat, and I'm faithful, and, uh, and I'm honest, and I don't use foul language, you know, I don't get drunk, I don't look at porn or R-rated movies, you know, I pray, I read the Bible, I go to church, I'm dedicated. So I, I want to bring something to God, get God to notice something that I have done. But the problem with self, the self-righteous person is that the self-righteous person never asks for what they truly need, which is forgiveness and mercy and life. It's like, it's like again, having this just massive debt Millions and millions and millions of dollars of debt, but all that you possess is dirt. You know, and you're coming before God with your dirt, and it's just like, and it, but it's more dirt than that guy had. You know, that that person only has a pocket of dirt. This person only has a bucket of dirt. I mean, I I got a truckload of dirt. Like, come on, of course you're gonna accept me, but of course at the end of the day, you know, dirt is dirt, and it's not gonna pay down the debt. But that's what self-righteousness, so self-righteousness ends up condemning us. But then also, why these people are the happy people is because this poverty, this is a poverty that leads to everlasting riches, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, why theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? The ultimate kingdom, the glorious kingdom, the beautiful kingdom, the eternal kingdom, God's kingdom, the kingdom of, uh, described in the New Testament, uh, the kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace, where God reigns. It would be a, another word really for salvation, is having the kingdom of heaven. It belongs 
to those who are the poor in spirit. It's what happens when we are born again. Uh, Jesus himself to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's no entrance into the kingdom of heaven. There's no possessing of the kingdom of heaven unless one is first poor in spirit. Again, Lloyd-Jones says, we cannot be filled until we are first empty. And so Jesus comes to each one of us and says, I will give you everything as long as you admit you have nothing. You admit you have nothing, I'll give you everything. I can't fill you if you are already full, right? And that's, again, that's the problem with self-righteousness, right? We're, here, I'll bring you this, I'll bring you this, look at this, look, look at all the good things I did here and, and, and all the commandments I obeyed there. And it's just like we're coming with our hands full and Jesus says, I, I've got nothing to give to you. I can only give to you if your hands are empty. I can't fill that which is already full. If you think you have something, you get nothing. If you think you have nothing, I will give you the kingdom of heaven itself. And so the question is, question is, does this describe you? Does this describe you? Would you describe yourself as poor in spirit, a spiritual beggar before God? Have you given up on yourself in terms of making yourself right with God, acceptable before God? Do you see how bankrupt spiritually you are, how desperate you are in need of mercy and grace? Or do you think you can do it on your own? A good person, acceptable person, all you need is more time. Then, of course, the question is, how do I become? How do I become poor in spirit? And how do I grow in poor in spirit? And, and yes, I, I hope it's obvious by now, is this doesn't come about by effort, right? I, I just got to make myself really poor in spirit. Yeah, that's, what, that's my goal for the day. I'm just going to make myself really poor in spirit. It's just not going to happen through your own effort. It only happens, on the one hand, as I, as I look to God, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, let's see, self-righteousness is all about, I'm comparing myself to other people, and I'm better than that person, I'm better than Hitler, right? We always compare ourselves to Hitler. I'm better than him, you know, or other people that we don't like. I'm better than that person. We're looking, or comparing ourselves to others, or we're fixated on ourselves, but the poor in spirit person and growing poor in spiritness within us is as we focus on who God is, as we see his beauty and glory and majesty, as we pour over his word and we focus on his attributes and, and we, we look at his law and what he requires of us and how far short we fall. And then, of course, it says we look to the cross and we see the great cost of our sin, as well as the great price that was paid for the forgiveness of our sins. Right? The gospel is the king. The king of the kingdom left heaven. He left his throne. He left his riches. He came to earth as a human being and became the poorest of the poor. And on the cross, he's hanging naked. And he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Utterly impoverished. Why does he do it? In order to make you and me 
rich before God and acceptable to God and righteous before God. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you now. You don't have to wait for it. It already belongs to you now because of Jesus. Jesus, here's the song that we sang. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And friends, do you see how freeing it is? Right? Not, not only do I not have anything to bring, or is there anything that I can do, there's nothing that I need to bring. And there's nothing that I have to do. Because it's already been done. It's already been done. Jesus has done it all. And Jesus is my everything. And he is more than enough. How do we respond to that? We sing, oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. And friends, um, by the way, poor in spirit is what we are. Poor in spirit, it's not just what you were before you became a Christian or how you became a Christian. We are still completely dependent upon God and His grace and His mercy constantly. Right? Like, it's, it's, it's not as if this poor in spiritness, that's something that we outgrow. That's something that we move beyond. Yeah, I was poor in spirit, but now, you know... Now I've got it all together. That is not not our goal. Our goal is to grow deeper and deeper in this poverty of spirit. And how does that, how does it show itself? How do I know if I am growing in poverty of spirit? I I think one of the telltale signs, it's not the only thing, but 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 I believe that dependence, this poor in spiritness, one of the chief ways in which it's going to show up is going to be expressed in prayer and how much we actually pray. Because ultimately, prayer is the way in which we express our dependence upon God. And so, to the degree that you pray, you are actually revealing the poverty of spirit. What we are declaring by not praying is, it's all right, God. I've got this. I can handle this. I can figure this out myself. Or as Paul Miller in his excellent book on prayer, I can't recommend enough, called A Praying Life, he says, if you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. Prayer is saying, I cannot do this without you, right? The parent, praying parent is the parent who's saying, God, I cannot parent without you. The praying spouse is the one who's saying, God, I can't do marriage without you. The praying student is saying, God, I, I, I won't be able to learn. I won't be able to get into the next grade. I, I can't do this without you. The, the praying worker, the praying businessman is, is the one who's saying, God, ultimately all of this depends on you. I can't do this Without you, I can't do life without you. And so for those who um, 
who are just exploring Christianity, maybe you're checking it out online, my, my final word to you is this, is that you will never be enough, you will never have enough to save yourself or to make yourself acceptable before God. Not only and not until you realize that you are empty can you be filled not until you realize how impoverished you are can you be enriched not until you realize how hopeless you are that you will actually find hope and so the call of the gospel is give up on yourself and come to god for mercy and grace come to jesus and say i cannot save myself I have nothing to offer. Thank you, Jesus, for doing it all, that you became poor in my place so that I can become rich in you because of all that you did for me. Amen. Let's pray together.